We're going to continue to worship as we always do by reading God's word together. We are in, in the Proverbs and another just one verse scripture reading this morning. So Proverbs 17, verse 17, hear God's word. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Thank you, Andrew, and a good morning to all of you. Good morning to all of you. There you go. All right, there you go. Um, It is good to be with you. My name is Naya, for those of you who don't know, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, would you pray with me as we begin opening God's word? Lord, um, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word. Um, Lord, we thank you. Um, just for your faithfulness, for bringing us through another week, and for bringing us all together here this morning to hear from you. Lord, we thank you that your life and your death and the blood that was shed um, is here for every moment. And we thank you for that. We thank you that it's for this moment too. And Lord, I. I feel the weight of what it means to proclaim your word this morning, and so I pray that as the word hits me first, that it will also hit the hearts of your people. Um, May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. From 1994 to 2004, television was never the same. The sitcom Friends aired and became one of the most popular television shows of all time. And we know, you know, Ross and Rachel and Monica and Chandler and Phoebe and Joey. And even though they were pretty codependent, right, uh, had so much flexibility with their jobs, which I've never found a job with that much flexibility, and were somehow able to be together all the time, okay? The show demonstrated something. Um, and it demonstrated what friendship can be like or what it can look like. And some of you are like, Naya, Friends is not my jam. All right, well, maybe for some of you it's Harry Potter. Yeah. And uh, you've watched the series and you're just captivated by Harry and Hermione and Ron and their friendship together and how they're able to go to the ends of the earth to fight Lord Voldemort and make sure Harry is safe. And if Harry Potter isn't your jam, maybe for some of you it's Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's Frodo and Samwise Gamgee, right? And we all want a Samwise Gamgee who is willing to go with us to the darkest of the darkest, right? Who's loyal, who won't leave. And if, you know, Lord of the Rings isn't your jam. I mean, for the recent um, times, uh, Stranger Things 2 is out, right? And I have to admit, I am not a Stranger Things fan. I have not watched it, okay? So I will say and admit that. But, I know, boo on me. But, but, here's the thing. There have been articles written on the friendship between Will and Mike. 
and how that friendship is needed to kind of break through and fight the darkness. And the point of bringing all of these stories here, I mean, we can think of others, is that you and I are always captivated and we're always taken back by relationships and friendships that we want. Because if you're anything like me, when I watch Harry Potter or when I watch Lord of the Rings, I'm like, I want a friend like that. Or, or I want to be a friend like that. And for some of you, have you ever wanted a friend like Samwise? Yeah, there you go. Raise your hand. Right? Do you find yourself this morning a little bit lonely and kind of ashamed to admit it? Or you're dissatisfied with how your relationships have gone in the past? Or have you secluded yourself because you thought that's what married life is, is to just pluck out of all your friends and just stick to that one person? Or have you made marriage the end-all and be-all of relationships? Are you wanting more out of them this morning? A famous poet by the name of W.H. Auden in the 19th century talked about friendship this way. Easy at first, the language of friendship is, as we soon discover, very difficult to speak well. And how true this is, right? I mean, as we get older, friends become smaller, becomes harder. And as adults, we no longer see each other at the halls of school, but we default to one-hour you know, lunch meetings or happy hours or play dates because our schedules are just too full, they're too packed. Um, if you were here with us last week, I mean, Tim talked about how we live so isolated and secluded from one another. And we live in an over-sexualized society, right, that the church often perpetuates, that robs us of the relationships we can have with both genders. And we live in one of the most loneliest times in history when there's actually more ways we can be connected. It's kind of ironic. And yet, friends, since the breath of creation, you and I, human beings, were created to be in relationship. Adam actually never really knew what it meant to be utterly alone because he was created by someone else. He was created by God himself to be in relationship with him. That is why friendship and relationships are actually at the core of who we are as people. Because without friendships, without relationships, we would be utterly lost. We would have to fight things by ourselves that God never intended for that to be the case. And so we've been in a series titled Restart Smart. And if you've been with us for a while or this is your first time, we're learning that the foundation of a good restart is to embrace a life of wisdom. And we learned last week, if you were with us or not, that there is some selectivity in who we surround ourselves with, right? 
I mean, there are people that we have to say no to, that we have to put boundaries, because who we surround ourselves with shapes us. And so we have to be careful and selective in that. And this week, we're going to learn how do you build relationships that last? And the way we're going to learn that this morning is by asking this question. What does it look like to be a friend that lasts? And a friend here is pertaining to all relationships, friendship, marriage, parent-child, siblings, okay? Because though not all friendships are marriages, all marriages are friendships. And I love marriage, and I'm so glad that God has given us that gift. But all I want to do this morning is to actually reclaim what God meant for relationship and how friendship is actually the starting point. And so you have to be a friend to get a friend. And I know that sounds super cheesy, and y'all are rolling your eyes, and you're like, I don't want to listen to her anymore, okay? But please, just stick with me for a second. To live a wise life is to know how to be a wise friend. And if you don't know how to do that, you will always settle for mediocre friendships headed towards destruction with no one to walk alongside you and push through the darkness. So we're going to look at four ways, four ways in how to build or how to be a friend that lasts. And first, a friend that lasts cultivates self-awareness. And as we started this series, if you remember back in the first sermon, we defined wisdom as the skillful art of living in God's world. And we've been journeying through the Proverbs, which are a collection of wise sayings, to learn and teach us how do we live this life that is wise? How do we, how do, we do that as people, as God's people? And two weeks ago, if you were here, Andrew talked about the heart. And he told us that the Hebrews understood the heart to be the core foundation of who we are as people. I mean, the heart is where our will and our desires and our affections, all of that, where that is all located and stored. And Proverbs 4.23 tells us that above all else, guard your heart because everything you do, Everything you and I do flows from it. And if that is true, if everything you do comes from your heart, and if you don't know what's in your heart, then how will you know what you're doing? I mean, have you ever been given something that you don't know how to do, right? Whether that's a task at work or an assignment at school, or a goal you want to accomplish, or actually putting stuff from Ikea together. I mean, right, we get things that we don't know how to do. And I, and I think most of us in here are not people who are just going to be like, meh, whatever. I'm just not going to figure it out. It'll get done somehow. Like, I don't really think we're that kind of people in here. Um, I do think we're people that we would want to research, right, that we want to figure it out, even though you feel like you don't want to figure it out. Right? We'll, we'll go to great lengths to put structures in place, to call a friend, right? to listen to those who know better than we do. Right? I mean, we'll do that for things that we don't know how to do because if we don't, then how are we going to know how to do it? And friends, it's actually the same with our hearts. 
If you don't know what's in your heart, and if you don't take the time to research, how will you ever know? The difference between our hearts, though, and a task is that we can actually avoid what's in our hearts. We can actually never deal with what's in our hearts and die and live miserable lives and not even be aware of it. The thing with tasks is that you actually get immediate consequences if you don't do it, especially if you have to do it for someone. But you see, with our hearts, the consequences are actually slow and steady. It's a consequence, a consequence, a consequence, and it builds and it builds like your body does when you don't take rest and then all of a sudden, stop, no more. And that's how it works. It's a build, build, build explosion. And I get why we do this, though. I'm human just like you. I get it. I don't want to deal what's in my heart because a lot of us in this room, we come from our own back family backgrounds. We come from our own family systems, and we carry a lot of deep wounds. Right? We've been hurt deeply by those who've claimed to love us. Right? We've been told to stay closed off and not trust anyone or only trust people who look like you or who are like you, which are often overt or covert ways right, of learning how to do that. I mean, our hearts carry deep wounds. And to search them out and know what's in them actually means we have to face the pain, the loss, the brokenness, the addictions, the hurt. And what we often miss is that when we don't lean into our wounds, we actually act out on them. For Paul Hegstrom, in his book, Broken Children, Grown-Up Pain, he put it this way, wounds that we've forgotten for the sake of self-preservation begin to drive our behaviors. And as Proverbs 27, 19 states, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Self-awareness actually guards that foundational core parts of who we are. So how are, what are some helpful ways to know, Naya? Like, how can we know if, if we're doing this, if I know that I'm implementing this? And so here are some questions that I really want you to consider this week. I want you to take some time and to answer these questions honestly to really gauge how are you doing in the self-awareness area. Okay, these are questions that are helpful for me. And so here, here they are. Number one, uh, are you aware when your emotions are off or elevated, right? When that button in there is pressed, do you know what that button is? Are you aware when you've hurt or violated someone, when you've crossed the line? Uh, are you aware if your, if your relationships have created a space where both people get to share and feel welcomed and be embraced and feel safe? Are you aware when you need boundaries, where you end and the other person begins, when you need to take a step back and say no? Are you aware of when you're being deceitful or manipulative or controlling of someone? And another helpful way 
and I'm a big proponent of this, is actually the counseling room. I mean, as a church, we have a lot of resources of counselors and lists, and I've benefited from that as well. I mean, it's helpful to go into a room and to talk about these things with a professional who actually understands you know, the, the psyche, who actually can give some helpful guidance into what's going on and how things fit together. And allowing yourself to be in honest relationship with someone is also very helpful because they can be like, hey, did you know you do this? Right? And friends, ultimately, as the psalmist said, God, search my heart. Search my heart because you know it way better than I do. And so, friends, a friend that lasts cultivates self-awareness. And second, a friend that lasts is honestly transparent. Look at what Proverbs 27, 6 and 17 states. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I mean, a friend is one that takes the risk to speak the truth and not just tell you what you want to hear. And even though it's hard and risky to speak the truth, right, and tell those we love especially the truth, it's what an honest person does. Now, how many of you remember when American Idol was, like, hot, right? I mean, it was, like, the show to watch, okay? And do you all remember the audition phase, right? It takes, like, a month. And there are people who come, and they're convinced they can sing. I mean, they're on the video, and they're saying that their mom and their dad and their boyfriend and girlfriend told them that they could sing, right? And, and you, they go, and they, they do their audition, and it's just like what? <laughs> Wait, you were told that you could sing? I mean, do y'all remember like looking like a fool with your pants on the ground? I mean, that was like a big thing with American Idol. Um, and friends, the thing is, we do that all the time to people, don't we? Right? When they ask for our opinion and you're like, well, I mean, you know, like you're not that bad, right? And then some of you are actually like, want to tell your opinion when it ain't even welcomed. And you're like, you got to be doing this right. And it's just like, all right, y'all need to take a step back or something, right? But it's, it's like, don't be that person that tells all your friends they can sing when you know they can't, when you know they can't. And I get it. It's hard to be honest because we're risking so much. We're risking to be misunderstood. We're risking to be rejected and not liked. But a friend that lasts is one that is honest because an honest person is a loving person. And about a month and a half ago, I went to a church planning assessment, and we were given an assignment. And I can't tell you what that is because it's top secret. But we were given an assignment, and the group went, the group, you know, I was next. So this group is doing the assignment. And after the assignment is done, one of the assessors comes and says, that was terrible. Like, brutal honesty. I mean, he even went as far as saying, that was the worst we've seen in the history of this thing. And the room was like, Ugh. like, you just want to throw up because I'm next, right? And my heart is pounding because I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get the same thing. But you're feeling so bad for the people that are getting this brutal, like, truth um, 
But here's what I learned, is that because this, this assessor was honest with this group, the group after them, which was my group, was actually able to implement the feedback that they were given so that we could do well. And so the point is this, your honest truth to someone actually impacts other people. Because when you are speaking the truth to someone and you're calling something out, it actually makes them a better human being. And by default, they're going to be better to other people. The truth sets people free and it impacts. And as Proverbs says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. But it's not just about being honest with someone. It's actually also about being transparent. And they're not the same thing. Once that honesty is cultivated and that trust is there because you trust the other person to tell you the truth, then you want to be transparent. You want to share your heart. You want to tell someone what keeps you up at night. You want to engage in relationship with that person and tell them things and be transparent with them. And friends, an honest friend not only tells you the hard truth, but is free with their words of encouragement to you too. Our friendships and our relationships need a lot of grace and encouragement, friends. And we are to let the people in our lives know that we love them, that we are for them, that we see them growing, that we've noticed that they're doing a great job, that you know they're not doing okay, but you're going to be there to embrace them, that you ain't going to leave them, but that you're going to hold them and catch them. They need to know that. And we are to be people who give our words of encouragement and not put down other people. For Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety weighs the heart down, but a kind word cheers it up. Oscar Wilde, one of the best quotes he ever said was, a good friend will always stab you in the front. <laughs> so have you been honest with where you are with God? with your spouse, your parents, siblings, close friends? Have you withheld truth for fear of being rejected? Or have you withheld um, giving encouragement to someone that needs it? And have you been unreceptive to, other, to people's truth or to God's truth? Because a friend that lasts cultivates self-awareness is honestly transparent. And third, a friend that lasts radically forgives. And Proverbs 17, 9 states, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. People will hurt us, and let me break it to you, the closest people will hurt you the most. That is inevitable because hurt people hurt others. But a friend is someone who's able to cut some slack and let it go. To give someone the benefit of the doubt. Now, don't hear me saying that you're going to let people do whatever they want. No, no, no. The proverb says, whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. It's not that you let people do whatever they want or continue to hurt you with what they do. But it does mean that we are quick to extend grace and run toward the offense. And hey, 
I'm going to be real with you. I know that forgiveness is one of those touchy, hard, extremely difficult subjects to talk about. Because a lot of us in this room have been deeply wounded and we've given and we've tried and we've shown up only to, to be rejected. Or we've seen up close how relationships don't last. Right? Some of you have been told to stay in relationships that you shouldn't have. And some of you are feel regret and shame for putting up with some of the relationships you actually do have. Right? And some of you have been told to move towards reconciliation when we have to be honest about the tension that sometimes that doesn't happen here on this side. And it's hard. And David knew, the psalmist knew it was hard when he said in Psalm 55, 12 through 14, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I had once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. David is saying, I can deal with the fact that I got enemies. That ain't my problem. It's those who claim to be close. It's those who claim to love me that hurt and sting the most. And friends, you know, a few years ago, you know, I took the risk, right? I took the risk of opening up myself um, and being transparent and sharing my heart with a friend. But what happened is that because I wasn't self-aware and because I wasn't honestly transparent and because I let myself be run all over and withhold the truth and not have brown, put boundaries in place, one day, I couldn't take it anymore. So consequence, right? Consequence, consequence, boom, it all exploded. And as a result, that friend and I didn't talk for eight months. And it was painful. I mean, it crushed me. Because I was like, I thought, I thought, you know, we were friends. I thought we had each other's back. I thought we were, you know, we loved each other. But instead, I felt so betrayed. And friends, the risk of sharing your heart only to be betrayed is super devastating. And rejection, like David talks about, makes it so hard to want to open yourself up back again because you think every person is going to be like that one. But friends, forgiveness allows our heart to open back up again to God first and others. Miroslav Volf, in his book, Free of Charge, actually talks about forgiveness this way. We don't forgive in our own right. We forgive by making God's forgiveness our own. And even then, we don't forgive the fact of someone's guilt, the so-called objective guilt. God has already done that. And I don't know about you, but that actually gives me a lot of rest. That all the wrongdoings that you will do and all the wrongdoings that will be done to you, God has already forgiven that. Jesus' blood made it possible for those offenses to be covered, which means that you can rest. You can rest 
in God's forgiveness. You can rest. Because, friends, it almost took me like a year to be able to release that guilt of my friend's offense, to release her of that guilt because I was hurt so bad. But you know what? God had already released her. And so that's why, that's why forgiveness doesn't free the other person, actually. They're already free. It actually frees you. And a friend cuts some slack. They let it go sometimes. Do you know, all of you, do you know that you stand forgiven before God? No matter what you've done? I mean, have you embraced his forgiveness? Have you forgiven yourself? Releasing yourself of guilt and shame? Are you withholding forgiveness from someone? Have you closed your heart? A friend that last cultivates self-awareness is honestly transparent, radically forgives, and lastly, a friend that last loves sacrificially. As Andrew read for us, Proverbs 17, 17 states, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend that lasts is one that is able to love sacrificially. And usually we only talk about sacrifice in the context of marriage, but all of us make sacrifices for people we love all the time, right? And I mean, sacrifice can look like this. It can look like giving people, right, who we love, the space that they need when they need it. Or it's staying committed, even when it doesn't feel great or you don't get what you want. It's being self-aware about your heart and your baggage because, break it to you, we can't control other people. We want to control other people. We've been wanting to do it since the beginning, but we can't. And actually lovingly sacrificing for someone is you doing your own work of knowing what's in your heart. Because that's the only thing you have control over. Right? It's forgiving when we'd rather hold bitterness. It's biting our tongue when we would rather put someone down and gossip about them. It's showing up even if it inconveniences us. And it's accepting where the other person is at. Because a friend loves at all times. Not just sometimes, not just half the time, not just a little bit of the time. A friend loves at all times. And it's easy to listen to this sermon and to be like, yeah, I love this stuff, but it doesn't work. Like, this stuff doesn't exist. And let me be the first person to tell you that it does. Because your homegirl over here moved her entire life, all right, a year and a half ago. I mean, I left everything. And I left everyone I knew. And let me, I'm going to be honest, it was really hard. It was really lonely, really isolating. And during the first couple of weeks, I met um, the Van Aukens and I met um, Barbara Lucas. And it was there, little did I know, that a deep friendship would actually form through that. 
I mean, little did I know that she would teach me what it actually means to be a true friend because in order to be, get a friend, you have to be a friend. And that's where I learned, and I'm still learning, how, how do you be self-aware, right? How do you be honestly transparent with things you would rather tell no one? How do you extend forgiveness? How do you love sacrificially? And the only way I can know that is by being in relationship. And if you know anything about Barbara, she's quick to speak the truth, but is very liberal with her words of encouragement. And friends, I had no place to land, and I was provided a place to land so that when things aren't okay, I can be embraced and be part of their family and hang out with Ryan and go watch her play volleyball and just all of these things. And because they've embraced me, I in turn was able and am able to embrace them. Because when we take the risk of being a friend, we actually get a sliver of probably what the garden must have been like. And the church is a unique place where friendship and relationships like these can be made and cultivated. Is it the only place? But there's something about gathering together because we believe in Jesus. There's something about that that brings us together. And we're not meant to have 20 close friends. All right, that is impossible, right? We do have those people we can go, you know, hang out with, go to the game with, talk music about, you know, we do have those people, but we're not meant to have 20 close-knit friendships. As Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There are those people who know us. So relieve yourself of the pressure of trying to be close to everyone and more importantly, relieve others from the expectation that they have to be close to you. Friends, when Jesus talks about marriage, I mean, sorry, when he talks about friendship in the gospel, it's actually one of the most remarkable passages in scripture. In John 15, this is what Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And this is my command, love each other. This is why friendship is so important. Because can you just sit there and think about this for a minute, that the God of the universe came down in human form to extend his friendship to you. That he calls us his friends. I mean, Jesus lived as someone who was self-aware. He knew when he needed to, to go and go in. He knew when he needed to go out. Jesus knows what's in the heart and he knows what's in your heart because he still has one. He was honest and spoke truth, even if it meant that he would be rejected. And he is free with his words of encouragement as the Bible reeks of them, tells you who you are. He continues to be honest with us, and in him there is no deceit. And he was honest with God when he didn't want to go through the crucifixion, and he told his friends what he needed, that he needed them to pray, but they couldn't. 
He was transparent, for he asked his friends what he needed, and he continues to be transparent because you and I actually get to know him. We get to know him throughout our life. He doesn't hold himself back, even though we will reject him, even though we will fail him. As one theologian said, there is no God behind the back of Jesus because Jesus is who God is, and he shows himself to you in all of who he is. He is transparent and he forgives. He releases the guilt that we all deserve and his heart is always open to us. In fact, on the cross, he forgave those who were killing him and on that took every one of our pain, every one of our mishaps, our broken relationships, our problems. He took them and he nailed them on the cross and he felt them at its core and he died and forgave so that you and I could have his forgiveness to fall back on. His grace and his love are right there for you as constant companions. And Jesus is permanent. He understands what it means to lose loved ones, for that is the pain of relationships, is that they die. People die. And that's hard. But in life and in death, Jesus is constant. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never turn his back on you. And he will always be honest with you and speak hard truth because he loves you. He will always welcome your truth and want to hear it. And he gives you the space and time you need to process and walks alongside you, not forcing you to be anywhere that you're not. Jesus loves sacrificially. And in fact, his death on the cross and his resurrection not only gives us the ability to be friends with him, but it actually gives us the ability to be friends with one another. We can actually have restored relationships in this life. Friends, we're to love like this. And guess what? We're going to fail all the time at it. I mean, we're, we're going to deeply hurt people. We're going to mess up. We're going to end relationships. We're going to stay in relationships too wrong. Right? We're going to withhold truth. We're going to harbor bitterness instead of forgiveness. We're going to do all of those things. But even then, Jesus loves always. And no one can ever be a friend like that to you. No matter what you've done, no matter what happens in this life, that will always be true. A friend that lasts cultivates self-awareness, is honestly transparent, radically forgives, and loves sacrificially. And as the famous philosopher Cicero said, though challenged, though injured, though tossed into the flames, though nailed to a cross, a friend loves always. God, we thank you for the gift of friendship that we actually get to live in relationship with you and as a result, we get to live in relationship with others. That we come to know who you are through people, right? That we come to learn a little bit of, of who you are about your love, your grace, about your forgiveness and your honesty through others. And God, we thank you that you never stab us in the back that you're always 
faithful and honest, and that we don't have to be concerned if you're tricking us, if you're controlling us. God, we thank you for the gift of being able to be in relationship with you through your son, Jesus. And we ask by your spirit that you would help us, God, because we need help. And we thank you that we stand forgiven, that you have already forgiven us. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.